Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Could all be seated? We're going to just give you a moment, all those joined online and in person, to, to center yourself, practice some silence and solitude to hear this gospel so that we can tune in to what God might be directly speaking to us about. So let's lay down our automatic thoughts when we exhale. So right now, exhale with me. All those automatic thoughts, ruminating thoughts, harassing thoughts, anxious thoughts, and bring it to the house of the Lord. And inhale the transcending presence of God, the wind that is remaking the world through the resurrection, how he's moving in us and through us, remaking us and remaking the world. All God's people pray. Amen. So because we're around Union Square, this is an iconic sort of area in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan, where mostly movies are filmed. So this theater particularly is famous. It's a smaller theater in Union Square, so a lot of celebrities attend. They hide out with their hats. And I've bumped into, I don't know, dozens of celebrities. I'm friends with them. I mean, I just bump into a lot of celebrities. And one uh, particular weekend, I bumped into, one time I bumped into L.A. Reid, who is the founder of Voice to Men, who found Voice to Men for Def Jam, which I'm very grateful for. And I said, L.A., I was like, L.A., bro, thank you so much. He's like, for what? Finding Voice to Men. He's like, which song? Of course, End of the Road. Of course. He's like, oh, you know your music. I'm like, yes, I know, I know. Thank you. There all the time, I also bumped into Iron Man. His universe merged into mine. Right out here in the streets of 19 on Broadway, even though he had eight security guards next to him, guarding him, you know, not taking pictures. I actually parked right behind their car. Yeah, so I'm, I'm highly favored. But this, this other time, um, I was at Starbucks, and these two people showed up just ordering coffee, Derek Jeter and Hannah Davis. And I'm not really a baseball fan, but I know them, you know? It's like if Michael, it's like Michael Jordan showed I mean, if Michael Jordan showed up to Starbucks, I would have fainted. You know, I'm, I am a huge sports fan, uh, Michael fan. Of course, I'm not even the fan of the NBA. I just like Michael. But, uh, but Derek Jeter and Hannah Davis showed up, and, and uh, Henry was there, but he's a Mets fan, so he wasn't as excited. But, you know, he was like, Derek Jeter. And I was like, so embarrassed, you know. <laughs> he kept saying Derek Jeter. And Derek Jeter was like, all right, all right, thanks, thanks. 
And, and um, one of our biggest Yankee fans, Jeter fans, is, of course, Dr. Andrew Lee. Um, so I text him. I'm like, dude, Derek Jeter and Hannah Davis just you missed it. He was like, oh my God, you're not even a Yankee fan. You're not even a baseball fan. And I'm like, I know, I'm highly favored, I told you. The day after the resurrection, which was last Sunday, something similar in a loosely parallel case happened to the disciples. You got to remember the night before the resurrection, the early morning of dawn of the resurrection, The disciples were scattered. Just those 24 hours, that 24-hour period was a very ambiguous, tense moment for the early church. Because they didn't really know, even though Jesus has been telling them through foreshadowing that he would die and rise again. They weren't really sure even though thermal dynamics and physics and basic cosmos, those things were not really available. They were not sure if a man who died a very convincing death through Roman crucifixion, which conquered the ancient world, that even though he said that, and even though they they seen the miracles, they seen Lazarus come back from the dead, they weren't sure if someone who died that way could come back, even if he was the Son of God, even if he was Messiah, because it conflicted so much from their expectation of what the Jewish Messiah would do, that he would overthrow Rome, that he would restore the kingdom of Israel. So they were unsure. But in a 12-hour period, we see Mary Magdalene and Mary and the other women who actually see Jesus and how Jesus encounters them changes everything about the way they understand reality. But there's one disciple. Remember, Judas scared. He's dead. He's committed suicide. There's 10. Thomas, which we call the doubting Thomas. Tell someone next to you, are you the doubting Thomas? Are you the one that doubts? You're like, that, Thomas, we read it. Haley read it beautifully with so much energy and spunk. Thomas came, just like Dr. Andrew Lee, missed it. He missed the resurrected Lord in their gathering. There was only nine meeting that night. There's a 24-hour period where you must see Jesus, and he missed the most historic miracle in history of humanity. How do you think Thomas felt that day? The disciples say to him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. What would be your reaction if someone told you that a dead man rose again, even though he said numerous times that he would come back? Skeptic. You'd be skeptical. You'd be like, yeah, right. And Thomas says to his friends, unless I touch the scars in his hands, I I know Roman crucifixion and the scars, and his feet. I will not. Tell someone next to you, I will not. I will not believe. It was rebellion. He, I think he was just mad that he missed out, right? But he said, I will not believe. But here's the problem. When you look at this passage, it says that Jesus disappeared 
from the room, even though it was locked, meaning many questions are now coming about after the day of the resurrection. Jesus doesn't reappear to his disciples, not yet in Galilee, but into that upper room, in that room that the disciples were hiding from the Jewish rulers and the Roman officials. Jesus disappeared again, vanished. So, what was it like the day after the resurrection? That's a question no one really asked. We just sort of bypass. Oh yeah, the resurrection, it changed everything. Reality is redefined. Now we have a reason for our hope. Now we know that we shouldn't be pitied among all men because Jesus is really the creator. He is, as John says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the Lagos, and the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God. In verse 14 in John 1, it says that then the Lagos, the rational principle behind the creation of the universe, dwelt among us in flesh, full of glory, of grace and truth. But the resurrection doesn't solve all problems. You still got to go to work the next day, right? It's not like there are people in ancient antiquity that quit their jobs. Because even in the minds of the, the 10, 11 disciples that, that seen Jesus, thought that he was going to restore a physical kingdom of God. So a lot of people sell their possessions. There are people still that sell their possessions thinking Jesus is coming back sometime soon, even though they waited 2,000 years. But where is he? The resurrection, in some sense, changes everything. But this is the first point. Let's go to this text. The day of the resurrection, in some sense, changes everything, but still leaves what? Let's, let's look at the point here. You can read it with me. Everything has changed, but, read, but yet, what? Some tensions and questions remain. Why? Because it's not like they could control where Jesus is, right? He's now omnipresent. He's in his resurrected body. And some people have argued that Jesus' physical body wasn't really resurrected. It's really his ontological, spiritual body that rose, that that body still is there. But then that wouldn't really make sense because Roman officials would have decried this as a fraud if they could find his body, right? So the New Testament is very clear that Jesus resurrected from his physical form, which is why we have hope that when we die, we have a hope for another life. That's why Paul says, if we only could hope in Christ for this life, we should be pitied. Because that not, doesn't change reality in a, in a future and a hope for eternal life. Right? So there are all these kind of questions. But verse 26 is important. Turn your attention there. Read it with me. A what? A. Okay, you know how to read. Let's read it together. Eunice is A. Week later. Now everybody reads this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And people read it, oh, Jesus came back. 
But this is how we read it. I'm like, oh, yeah, now, now Thomas is going to hear about it, about his doubt. And Jesus is going to say, here, Thomas, what up? Feel my hands and my feet. I am real. I'm here. But how long did Thomas have to wait for that? Verse 26, read it again. A week later. Do you know what it feels like to wait one hour on Uber Eats? When you're hungry. It's hyperbolic, right? It's exaggerated. It feels like eternity. You're hungry, and I am a responsible father. I know my children will be hungry, and they don't want to see me hungry, so therefore I plan ahead. You must, you must plan, or you plan to fail. So I put in Uber Eats. 40 minutes go by. What's going to happen in 40 minutes? Josh is going to come and say, Dad, where's the food? 15 minutes pass by. My wife's going to come, Sam, where's the food? Hour goes by. Nathan comes by, if he's home, hardly ever, and says, Dad, where's the food? I'm tracking on the app. It's almost here. One hour of an expectation. If you have a real expectation for this to arrive, one hour feels long. What does seven days feel like? After 24 hours, Thomas was like, I'm not leaving this house ever again. I'm staying here. And he was like, you guys are lying. You guys, this is a, you guys are tricking me, right? You didn't see Jesus. No way. Second day, he's going insane. The time period of the 24 hours times seven, a week later, where did Jesus go? So everything has changed, but yet some tensions and questions still remain. Where is he? Where did he go? What is he doing? I remember at an airport, we were trying to make, a few years ago, the Harvard-Yale game at Boston. And I wanted a whole family to experience this. I actually wore Yale inside and Harvard outside, just in case who won. I was hedging my bets. So I went to both schools. So, you know, I'm like, hey, if Yale wins, I'm like, go to the other side. Hey, what up? Win-win. So we were there in the airport, and then there's a snowstorm, and the delays said two-hour delay. I said to the kids, hey, guys, go out there. Nathan has Apple Pay. Go get some candy. You know, relax. And then two hours later, JetBlue says there is a 30-minute delay. Oh, yeah, 30 minutes. We were there from 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. I knew things went crazy when my wife allowed us to sleep on the floor. We were trying to go, you know, like just sit on the floor. She's like, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. It looks bad. That's unclassy. After, after it was 10 p.m., 12, she was like, yeah, just sleep on the floor. Go ahead. So she gave up. She stopped caring about what people thought. This, this exaggeration of waiting for Jesus, so in a sense, everything's changed. But you still got to go to work. You still got to find an occupation if you haven't found one. You still got to make money. You still have kids if you do. Well, that, the resurrection doesn't change that. Right? Doesn't change people's character overnight. But yet, it changes everything. 
Even though you don't have control, now you know that there is a reason, a foundation, a substantial reason to have hope. Jesus said in the New Testament, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain and it will move for you. The resurrection gives you the visibility of that seed. Though it's small, now you're not suffering in futility. You're not just living this humdrum life, just a result of binary probability, a sequence of zeros and ones to fade into the sunset, just like any other extinction event in human, in human history, but that there is an arc to, and meaning to your life, that you're made in the image of a creator, intelligent designer, and that you're not just some binary probability. That changes everything in one sense, but changes nothing daily in process. It gives you hope and a reason. So what has happened to Thomas? He's waiting this lengthened, he's actually experiencing Lent in some sense, right? A lengthened period where his anticipation and his hope is not met. So you look into your life. What are the tensions and questions in your life that you can't reconcile? The tensions and questions we have about our world, about in Ukraine, the systemic injustice in our own country, the political tensions, we can't agree on anything in our country. There are still questions. But in the questions, the tensions, and confusion, we have hope. And that changes everything, amen? So, we have to now look in hindsight and foresight. We look back to Jesus. And Thomas is looking for Jesus. The disciples are looking for Jesus. And this is where, in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis talks about where did Aslan go, right? Aslan, the equivalent of Jesus in, in our world. In Narnia, his name is Aslan. Where is Aslan? Well, sometimes he comes and goes as he pleases, but Aslan is on the move. And that's where C.S. Lewis gets it from, that allegory, that parallel is that Jesus is risen and he's, he comes and goes. But he is leading the disciples, but they can't control it. How many people hate that? You can't control God, you know what I'm saying? Like, God, what's up? Can we have this happen? Like, the disciples like, God, what's up? When are we going to be like kings, you know, sitting next to your throne, and we're going to be laughing at Augustus and Pontius Pilate. We're going to be like, you're my slave now. That's what the disciples, their framework was political domination, revenge. It was a utilitarian framework, not a trinitarian framework. So in many ways, the tension that we have to absorb is, are we using God for our plans or are we listening to his plans for our lives? You're like, what, what, what you just say? Let me just say it again. 
So you, you, don't you don't confuse what I'm saying, okay? A lot of times in a utilitarian framework, we're trying to use God for our plans. God, enhance my plans. God, expand my plans. God, work through my plans. The cross comes through me, right? That's why you died, for me. No. He died to remake us and remake the world in us and through us. And that's the tension of the resurrection. Are you going to still follow what your plans for your life or the plans God has for you, the purpose he designed for you? Because only the creator has the authority of purpose. Think about that. That's a hard one. I'm still thinking about it. All right. So let's move down. So a week later, his disciples were in his house again. Thomas was with them. You know, I bet you the disciples were making fun of Thomas. You don't want to get Thomas and miss Jesus. And Thomas was like, I'm not peeing. I'm not leaving this house. I mean, he probably had a jar in, in this. I mean, he was not going to miss it again. And then though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Tell someone next to you, stop doubting and believe. Because let me tell you right now, in the midst of the tension, the lengthened season of that seven-day period, when Thomas doubted, questioned, vented, did you guys really see Jesus? Is God really going to come through? There's really no difference 2,000 years ago or today when we wait on God for something that we think he'll do. We're Thomasing. Did you get that? We're Thomasing. So, in your life, when you doubt and you think that your aches and your cries and the tensions that you whisper in your own heart that's unedited, it's not heard, that it's in futility, you're wrong because Jesus is omnipresent. He's God, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus wasn't physically there with the disciples, but he was, um, he was omnipresent. His presence was there. So when you cry and when you ache and you question and you doubt, does God hear it? Of course, Jesus heard it. Jesus didn't ask Thomas, how are you doubting me? No, no, Jesus came in, in a locked room. His presence now was manifest and said to Thomas, what up, here you go. Here's my hands. Although it took seven days. And then Jesus says this. Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Because Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He has no doubt now. He's seen a crucified Jesus, resurrected. Then Jesus told them, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet yet believed. Jesus performed many miracle, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But I always ask, why? Why can't you? That's the good stuff. Write the good stuff. But Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God, because of the resurrection, like I said, in some sense, it changes everything. Why? Because before the resurrection, they didn't know if he was coming, ever. After the resurrection, they knew he was coming when he met him. And they saw him. 
which, is cha- which changes everything. Because it's now is a matter of timing, right? It's, a matter, it's not a matter of if he's coming. It's a matter of what? When he's coming. In our own lives, the day of the resurrection is no different from the 2,000 years ago, then and there among Thomas and his doubts, and today, 2,000 years after Ando Domini, the year of our Lord, when we also doubt, is he coming? Is he working in my life? It's the same. One and the same. In Prince Caspian, in the epic series of the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, 1,300 years has passed since the Pendency siblings have left Narnia. And Prince Caspian is in utter danger because his aunt has given birth to a son which challenges his throne, and he's on the run. Prince Caspian has heard a rumor about Aslan, who has not been seen for 1,300 years, and has heard that if you blow Susan's magical horn, that the great king hears you and will come. Caspian, in skepticism and doubt, takes this relic out of the box. And if you haven't seen this movie, you need to, okay? It's powerful. And he blows the horn. Nothing happens. Nothing immediately, nothing immediate or marvelous takes place. He chucks it aside. Aslan does not show up even after... Lucy and Susan and Peter come back to Narnia. They try to fight their own battles. And there is an encounter in a a moment in this series where Lucy says, she sees Aslan in the forest and says, why didn't you show up? And then Aslan says, my dear one, that's not how Jesus talks in this world, my dear one, I never do the same thing twice. God never does the same thing twice. Why? Because he's on the move. And they doubted that he'll show up, but he comes up, saves the day, of course. Perhaps that's what prayer looks like today. When you utter prayer, short prayers, in the tension of our lives, it feels like a desperation and hope a mixture of those, but more desperation than hope. Not an actual strategy, but like a Hail Mary, hoping that something will happen. But when you call on his name, he will come. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Because the resurrection has changed that fundamental problem of what we're praying to nothing. If our hope is just a leap, Wimmed, armed with nothing. Now the resurrection says, what? He's risen. He's alive. He's moving. And that changes everything. But the tensions remain. Well, the second point is this. As we conclude today, what is it like the day after the resurrection? Well, the disciples... Read it with me. Learn to what? 
pray with their eyes open. What? Due to FOMO. They didn't want to get thomas They did not want to miss the move of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. Jesus is moving. Aslan is on the move, Lewis says in the Chronicles of Narnia series. The day before the resurrection, the people of God prayed with their eyes closed, hoping, waiting that something might happen. Faith wasn't really a mustard seed yet. It was just a wish in some sense. After the resurrection, it was, the, it was what? The reason for our hope. It changed everything. Today, we need to learn to pray with our eyes open, not closed. Why? Because Jesus is on the move. Jesus is healing, saving, redeeming. First starting in our lives, but in the world. And that's what the New Testament changes. Praying in expectation. Praying to see Jesus, the arc of Jesus' story continuing on, and it has for 2,000 years. It literally has changed everything about Western civilization, which we might take for granted, because now we live in a post-Christian society after 2,000 years, but Jesus has been moving and changing the world. All you need to do is look at it. And that's some of the things that we want to examine the next few weeks, how this risen Jesus has changed everything about the West and the East and the world. But for today, the day after the resurrection, like Paul would say, I beseech you. <laughs> Tell someone, I beseech you. It's more like, yo, I urge you, bro, to keep your eyes open. Amen? Stand and pray together. You know, the funny thing about the day after the resurrection and the week after the resurrection, a hundred years after the resurrection and 2,000 years after the resurrection, we still see Aslan, as Lewis says in the Chronicles of Narnia, moving throughout the world, reshaping what it means for human life, the sanctity of human life. Why will keep someone on a respirator, if it, even if it costs a million dollars, to try to save their life? Because before the resurrection, Cicero in Rome just went around killing a million people, boasting about it, and people praising him in the streets. If you look at the ancient world, it looks foreign to us because Jesus has changed the world. Slowly. You look at the Old Testament, people were shouting in the streets that David killed ten thousands. Saul, thousands. Today, the very foundation of international law, the very foundation of a UN, 
It's based on the Christian principle of Imago Dei that we are made in the image of God. And no matter how weak, and no matter how small, no matter how illiterate, no matter how lost a country is, they have inherent value. Why? They are made in the image of God. People say, well, I'm an atheist. Well, I'm this. No, you're pretty much a Christian. It's a Judeo-Christian value. That's why more than people know they were influenced by Jesus and the resurrection. So today, will you lift your hands with me? And pray. If you're a seeker, pray that like Thomas, Jesus would show up in your life. Because there's no difference though the resurrected body has ascended, his omnipresence, his manifest presence is accessible and available to those who seek him. The Bible tells us anyone who seeks him with their whole heart will find him and see him. For those of us in our who are disciples that are doubting like Thomas, who are, which, where, where are the Thomases? And you're like, yes, I'm not a Thomas. I don't doubt God. You will be one day. We're all Thomases and Peters. Say, God, oh, I want to open my eyes. I want to see you. I want to live with that FOMO of not ever missing your move in my life. So the structure of Christian life now lives out of this expectation of the kingdom to manifest in my humdrum life every second that it can happen. Before it was not possible, now it is. Every day when I wake up till I sleep, I ask the question subconsciously for 20 years, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Open my eyes, open my ears to hear. If we, as a community, will listen to the whispers of God, everything around your lives and others will be changed forever. Let's make this our prayer. Worship his holy name with your eyes open, sing like never before. Sing like never before. Oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. From when the sun comes up.
rich in love. This is who he is. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness, all your Twenty-two years in Ando Domini, the year of our Lord, was born. He died and rose again. I want to curse you in a good way. Would incredible FOMO to be looking constantly, perpetually, every second, every moment. This is why Paul says in the epistles, pray without ceasing. The correlation in prayer is directly linked to the movement of Jesus restoring and remaking the world. We have FOMO with the Korean dramas, I have that. We have FOMOs with the ladies restaurant. I want to go to Philly to eat this new restaurant that I've been salivating on social media for. But for the Christian, and even the seeker, our greatest FOMO. And everything utterly changed the day after the resurrection is where is Jesus moving in my life? Where is he leading me? What is he saying to me, in me, and through me? If you get those three things right in the Christian life, you'll always be at the right place. That is the center of Christianity. Not what Jesus just said. We must study that fastidiously. But 
what he is doing because he's alive. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Go with FOMO. Amen. Hi, everyone. Happy Sunday. So glad to see you all here. My name is Haley, and I'm a member here at 180 Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about tithes and offering. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully, which you can do using Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we welcome you to our service and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Next, we have Bible Reading Group. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG, where you can join us at any time to read the Bible. Feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the Word of God. Amen. Next, there are devotionals on sale at the 180 Cafe. They're great to help you get in the habit of praying and connecting with God every day. Sometimes I find it hard to find, form the words to pray, but these devotionals have been so helpful and inspirational. They're available at the 180 Cafe and it's an honor system. So you can purchase them via Venmo or QuickPay. Speaking of prayers, we have our prayer hotline. We invite you to use this resource to ask for prayer for anything or anyone in your life and it's completely confidential. You can text 5397-PRAYER or email prayer at 180church.tv and know that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. Prayers are so powerful and I can't tell you how many times my prayers were heard and answered. So I want to encourage you to get out there and pray and ask for prayer for where two or three are gathered in his name, God is with them. Yes. So let's talk about social media. There, these are the ways you can stay connected with us throughout the week. We have several media outlets from Facebook to Instagram to Dr. Sammy's Twitter page and even our YouTube page. We are very active on social media and there are multiple ways to share the message with your friends and family and also stay connected in the community. Let's not forget about our YouTube live stream. We know that things pop up and it's not always possible to physically attend Sunday service, but not to worry because Sunday service is being live streamed weekly on YouTube, so you never have to miss another service. So say hello to the YouTube viewers. Hello. And it's also a great way to share the gospel with friends and family. Next up is small groups. Small groups are a great way to process what you heard on Sundays with brothers and sisters along the journey of faith. We know that no one is meant to do faith alone and small groups have been an amazing way to know that we are in this together. It's also a great way to um, get to know each other, grow deeper in, with, in relationship with each other and reflect and apply sermons to our daily lives. And honestly, it's so much fun. I look forward to it every week to meet with the group and you know, we just have fun doing life together. So that's great. Um, adult groups meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. 
Young adult groups meet on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. College Fellowship meets on Mondays at 7.30. And if you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts or hoodies. Now, this is the exciting one. Are you, are you guys ready? Okay, I, I want to introduce 180 merch, okay? I know, you've been all waiting for this. It's not exclusive anymore. You can purchase your 180 merch at the 180 Cafe. There's a variety of tops in different fabulous colors, all donning the stylish 180 um, emblem and other cool designs. Like some of them have like cool designs on the back. Not mine, but others. Um, so you can get one of those. Uh, after service, you can head straight to the 180 Cafe to purchase your new 180 shirt, hoodie, or sweatshirt. And they can be purchased with the same honor system as the devotionals. If you have any questions, you can speak to our merch designer, Andy, wherever he is. Oh, he's in the back. There he is. Um, and he can help you. And I can't wait to twin with all of you once you purchase your merch. Okay, next we have Day in the Sun. Our next Day in the Sun will be on May 15th at 12.30 p.m. We will be meeting at the East Pintum in Central Park. So be on the lookout for an email to RSVP. Let's pray for beautiful May weather and an awesome time of fellowship. Also, let's start thinking about the people in our lives who we can invite and share the good news with. Uh, now, for those of you with the heart to serve or feel like you're being led to serve, we have children's ministry. We need volunteers to serve, love, and teach our church's youngest members. They are really doing meaningful and soul-filling work there. My children are learning that they are God's treasures, like I told you last time. And also, my daughter always gets super excited for Sunday school. She says, oh, she loves Sunday school, so they're having a good time there. Um, they are building relationships and growing up in this community feeling loved and known, and that's really special. So if you want to be friends with our community's littlest members and be loved by me and other parents, go see Michelle Kim or Pastor Lydia for more details. Next, we have cafe volunteers. Coffee brings me so much joy, and I know it brings you guys joy too. So you can share some joy by serving up a cup of coffee before service. No barista skills are required. So if you want to serve or impress people with your latte art, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. And lastly, we have greeting volunteers. Who doesn't love a friendly face when they walk in? I know everybody does. And if you want to be that friendly face that brings smiles and makes people feel welcomed, this is for you. If you're interested, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. Now those are all of our announcements we have today.